listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. Well, if you would, again, you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, We are going to just continue along the theme of last week. If you remember, last week we dealt with the a parable of the two debtors, and in particular, of how Jesus offers forgiveness to Pharisees, and he offers forgiveness, forgiveness to great sinners as well. And so I, I do want to just say, you know, because we're going to continue along the theme of forgiveness, that Mark, I do forgive you for the mermaid tale and things of that sort. I don't know if, if, you, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I laid down here on the stage last week, and um, very quickly after that, I saw on social media a picture of me laying on the stage with a mermaid tail and a trident in my hand. I know it was Amanda's idea, but we are going to continue along those lines, the lines of forgiveness and understanding God's forgiveness of us. This is going to be a little bit different today. Um, We're used to coming to a particular passage and parking in that passage and diving into that passage and just asking all sorts of questions about a passage so that we fully understand the meaning of that particular text and then we apply it to our life. We are going to instead be dealing more with the topic today of forgiveness. And so we are going to fly around to a lot of different passages. You may get some paper cuts on your fingers as you turn from passage to passage in your Bible, or maybe your thumbs might get sore if you're using your phone or your tablet. But we will be uh, dashing around to different verses this morning to look a little bit deeper at the topic of forgiveness. And I really want to set up this week and next week. And so I want to do that by looking again real quickly at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 32, then after discussing this week and next week, we'll pray and we'll begin our message today. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what we're going to do, if we want to obey this verse, then we need to be forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave us. And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at how God in Christ forgave us. Okay? We're going to look at the, you might say we're going to take a dive, deep dive into forgiveness. In particular, what did God do with our sin? How did he forgive us? Then next week, we'll take that same concept and we'll say, okay, so now what are the implications of this then for me to forgive other people? And what does the Bible teach about me forgiving others as God has forgiven me? So today we're going to be looking at three things. One, what is forgiveness? Two, what are the prerequirements for forgiveness? Are there any? Okay. And then three, we will begin looking at some of the implications of God's forgiveness to us. So what is forgiveness What are the prerequirements for forgiveness? And then what are some implications of forgiveness? That will be the three things that we dive in today. I know we won't finish, which is why we have next week as well. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, you know how desperately I need you this morning to present 
accurately and passionately such a beautiful truth. A life-giving, destiny-altering truth of your merciful and your gracious forgiveness of our sin. Lord, there may be some here this morning who they've never received your forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the humility, the self-awareness, the conviction that's needed so that they might seek forgiveness. But Lord, there are many of us in this room who approach forgiveness possibly incorrectly. We either presume upon it or we may actually seek to pay for it. Lord, I pray you'd use this morning to encourage our hearts, to build us up, to strengthen us. And we might see the meaning of and the depths of your forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to deal with those three things. What is forgiveness? What are the pre-requirements for forgiveness? And then what are the implications of forgiveness? Let's talk about this first one. What is forgiveness? Um, If you Google what is forgiveness, aside from the Merriam-Webster cheesy definition, which says something about, you know, the the act of being forgiven. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you, Merriam-Webster. That's so helpful. Um, You're going to find right underneath that a psychologist's definition of forgiveness, which says this. It's a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you. I think it's... I like, I like a lot of that definition. But that, once again, is focusing on a person's forgiveness of another person. And there's some depth and understanding that is missing from that definition that actually enables us to do that. And so I began to look through Scripture and try to find a definition for forgiveness. You know, it's, it, forgiveness is kind of hard to define, it's one of those words that you, you think you know what it means until you really try to describe it and you try to state it and then you're kind of like, you, you keep giving all of these like conditions and well, I guess it's not really this and it's not really that and it is this and it is that. So we're going to kind of do some of that today, but I want to give you my conclusion. Okay? Here we go. Forgiveness, the definition that I've written down here, is the gracious and merciful work of God in separating our sins from us and removing the just judgment we deserve. Okay? The gracious and merciful work of God in separating our sins from us and removing the just judgment we deserve. Now, I think that forgiveness is such an important topic. Okay? I think sin and its consequences are all over this room. Okay, all of us in here are wrestling to one degree or another with the consequences and the results of sin. The sin in our own hearts as well as the sin from other people. 
And so you today might be really, really down, struggling with shame, with guilt, with fear, with insecurities because of your sin. Maybe even because of the complications of other people's sin. And I think God so wants us to meditate on and to think on what forgiveness is that in the Bible, he gives us lots of pictures. Pictures that help us to see and to, in some ways, engage with an idea of what forgiveness is. And so let's look at these pictures. I I have 10 written down here that we're going to go kind of look at. Some of them, I'll quote the verses so you don't have to turn to them. Some of them, you're just really familiar with the verses, so we won't turn to them, but we will turn to some of the verses. But there are 10 pictures that are going to help us understand that definition of forgiveness that I just gave. Okay? Here we go. Let's dive into these. The first one, just going to rehearse from last week, debt forgiveness. Okay? Now, this is probably the most common way to use this particular word, is the forgiveness or the release of a debt. Okay? Jesus, in Luke chapter 7, with the the notorious sinful woman who comes, and Jesus then tells this parable about the one who owed little and the one who owed much, and both of them have their debts forgiven. In other words, removed, released. Okay? There's no more obligation to pay. Their debts have been forgiven. Right? Um, a lot of us are aware of all of the debt removal programs going on right now and how there's debt forgiveness available for, for different things. It's a very common way of understanding debt. The debt is no longer required or exacted from somebody. This is debt forgiveness. That's one. Two, is this idea of pardon or canceling. So I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, if you would. It's in the Old Testament. If you flip back in the Old Testament, you hit Psalms, you need, to keep, you need to turn to the right. If you hit Isaiah, you need to turn to the right just a little bit more, and you'll hit Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 20. I love this picture of forgiveness. And in particular, it's the word pardon. Okay, pardon. Maybe we've, you've heard of that because you, you've heard about presidential pardons or this idea of, you know, and you wonder, what is that exactly? Okay, well, here's a pardon. I, uh, Jeremiah 50, verse 20. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel and there shall be none. In sin, in Judah, and none shall be found. For I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. You catch that? This is like, this is like hide and seek, okay? This is, people are searching out for transgression, for sin, for wrong, and and they're searching out for it, and guess what? They won't find it because of what a pardon is. A pardon is like, it's never happened. It's off the record. It's a pardon. It's a beautiful picture. Pardon, or another word used in Scripture, is this idea of canceling, okay? So now I'm going to ask you to flip all the way back into the New Testament to the book of Colossians. Colossians. 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. I'll read it to you. I think you're very familiar with this passage, but it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There's this canceling action. It says this, this record he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Wow, it's powerful. God takes your record of sin, and and there is a record of your sin. Some of you rehearse it a lot in your mind, and you dwell on it. There is a record of your sin, and Jesus dealt with it. He takes the record against you and he cancels it. It's done. Pardoned and canceled. Those are beautiful pictures of forgiveness. Okay, so we have debt forgiveness. We have pardon and canceling. There's another one, covering. Okay, Psalm 32. If you want to turn there, you can. Otherwise, I'll just read it for you. Psalm 32. It says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now we're going to come back to Psalm 32 again a couple more times as we go through this. But did you catch that? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Interestingly enough, later on in the passage... He says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. So there's a covering that works and a covering that doesn't. (laughs) When you try to cover your sin, it doesn't work. But when God covers it, it's effective. The picture here is most likely an echo from the Exodus. When the Israelites were told that they needed to slaughter a lamb, a spotless male lamb, and take the blood, and they were to wipe it on the doorposts and the mantle of the the house. And that, that would act as a covering to hide them from the angel of death who was going to come and plague Egypt. And so this blood became a covering of sorts for their sin, for our sin. The blood of Jesus becomes a covering for our sin. God passes over those who are covered. So there's another picture for us, covering of our sin. Another picture, blotting out or canceling. If you go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 44. I hear less and less pages turning. That means there's fatigue already. All right, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22 says this, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, says the Lord, or return to me for I have redeemed you. This blurring of the record so that it cannot be read. So I, I have two fountain pens. Um, they were both gifts to me and I enjoy using them. I love using them. One of them in particular if I don't fill it quite correctly, or I don't get the pressure right, I guess, in the pen, it drips while I'm writing. And so I'll be writing, you know, this beautiful piece of art 
you know, this note. And all of a sudden, the ink will drip out. And it's, it's a big glop of ink, bloop, right on the page. Okay? And if it lands on a word, you can't read it. It's been totally blurred out. It's just this big smudge, and it's a big mess. And you can't discern what it says. Do you get the picture there? So you have a record, a record with the details of your sin and your transgressions. And just imagine God taking a big thing of ink and just kind of blotting all over the page and saying, there's no longer any clear, discernible marks on here. Your iniquities have been blotted out. Also, similar to cancellation. This idea of like a cloud, he says. This idea is that it's, it's so fuzzy you can no longer see anything. God blots out your sin. There's another picture in Micah. I want you to turn to this one. Now, Micah might be one of those books that's a little harder to find. It's a, it's a little book. Towards the New Testament... Right before Nahum, right after Jonah, okay? There's only seven chapters, so it's easy to pass by, okay? So Micah chapter 7, verse 19. We're being reminded of who is God, and he's a, he, he pardons iniquity. He passes over transgression, verse 18. He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in steadfast love. Verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Another beautiful picture. So all of your iniquity, all of your guilt. God says, well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to obliterate this. All right. It has substance. I'm going to turn it into a non-substance. I'm going to trample it underfoot. I'm going to overpower it. Some of you are still dominated by guilt of your past. I think we need to remember what God does with our sin. For some of you, it, it, it literally has crippled you in your life. The sin was 50 years ago. 30 years ago, 20 years ago, while you were on assignment. And yet, you have let that sin and the guilt of that sin keep you from stepping up and leading and doing what's right. Could be you've let sin dominate you so much that you don't lead your family. Because I just can't. I'm too bad. You hear that there's need for volunteers within the church and leaders to step up and to place and to serve. And in your heart, you're like, that would be so, I, I would love to do that, but uh, I can't. Because if they only knew my past. And you let sin cripple you from actually engaging in life-giving ministry, whether it's to your family or whether it's to the body of Christ. Listen to this. He tramples your iniquity beneath his feet and then he casts it into the depths of the sea. 
Now, there's two possible pictures here of this casting into the depths of the sea. One could just be the generic idea that if you really want to put something away permanently for a really long time, you go in the ocean, you put some weights around it, and you drop it, and you say, see you later. I never want to see you again. (laughs) Or it could be, this is hearkening back to, once again, the exodus. When Egypt's chariots were all in the river, chasing after, trying to overcome the people of Israel. And God says, Moses, withdraw your stick, or maybe he said put it over over the river again. And all the water rushes together, and they're drowned in the depths of the sea. There was no Egyptian warrior climbing out of the sea, threatening Israel anymore. It was done. They were cast into the depths of the sea. Some of us go fishing, though, (laughs) for our sin. Because we want to feel bad about it. We want to pay for it. We want to do something. We we feel like we need to. I got to pay for that somehow. So we we go back to fishing, trying to hook our sin. So we can remind ourselves of it. We can meditate on it. We can think about it. And we can remind ourselves of why we owe so much and why we can't serve or why we can't minister. There's a beautiful picture of being cast away into the depths of the sea. We don't have to turn there for time's sake, but Isaiah chapter 38 says he casts all my sin behind his back. He takes all of our sin and he throws it behind his back. Isaiah chapter 1 says, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. Here's another picture. It's the washing away of sin. What does Jesus do with your sin? He actually washes you. Now, I, I particularly love this picture, and it did, it did heavily influence my definition of forgiveness. Because, you know, what are suds for? Have you ever wondered why, why, why does soap get bubbly? Okay. Is it really just to make us feel like we're doing something clean? You know, like, ooh, it's bubbly. It's foaming. We must be doing something good. Now, I'm sure there's some people who, who could argue this point with me, but I think suds actually help lift and remove, make it easier to wipe away the grime and the grease and the stuff that's within whatever it is we're washing. Those suds, the bubbles, they help lift it up off the thing, and then we can wipe it away, and we're not just rubbing it right back into the, into the carpet or the clothes or whatever, right? In one sense, you could say God is taking, he takes us, he takes our sin, he takes our guilt, and he's scrubbing, and he's washing away our sin. He's actually removing it from us. He's separating the grime and the guilt and the grease stains of our lust, and he's pulling it away from us. He's washing us. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. A beautiful picture of God washing away our sin. We've got four more, okay? Or excuse me, three more. Here we go, number seven, intentional forgetting. (laughs) You say, what? Intentional forgetting. You see, in multiple passages, and even some of the ones we read, it says that God will remember our sins no more. Now, some of you are like, ah, this is weird. I thought God knew everything. Doesn't God know everything? Isn't he omniscient? Yes, he is but he chooses to not remember your sin against you. He chooses to not think of you and immediately think of how bad you are. 
He chooses not to think of you and immediately, immediately associate you with all the pain you caused him. Instead, he's actually separated those things. And he thinks loving thoughts and lots of them. How many are your thoughts towards me, O Lord? He loves you and he intentionally chooses not to remember your sins against you. And there's a huge implication in that, by the way, when it comes to forgiveness of people. We're going to talk about that more next week. But intentional forgetfulness. God's intentional amnesia, okay? He's choosing not to remember your sins specifically against you. There's another one that's similar, and that is this, bad math, (laughs) okay? Literally, God does not count your sin against you. That same passage, Psalm 32, we could go to, right? Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. It says, who the Lord does not count their iniquity, right? Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 4. The same idea. You are blessed if God does not count your iniquity against you. The idea is that it was there, it's countable, and as he's tallying up the record, as he's, you know, working the equations, he passes over and does not count your transgressions. Wow. It's amazing. Because... It sure would be easy to count all my iniquities. Stack them up one on top of the other. Again, again, again. This type, this kind, this time. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't count our sins against us. There's an an intentional release of the account There's two more, the ninth and the tenth picture, that I just, I kind of put a whole bunch together because there's so many. There are so many. We're we're actually not going to cover some of them. We're not going to cover the scapegoat, which is a beautiful picture. Okay. So the ninth one, I've labeled this, killing it, crucifying it, condemning it. Killing it, crucifying it, condemning it. This is what Jesus does with our sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Turn there if you would, please. Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And get this. Romans 8, verse 3, the end of the verse, it says this, And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. It's not that sin doesn't matter. Sin really does matter. Sin is a big deal. God isn't up there with a rug and a broom and just kind of, you know, sweeping the sin underneath and pretending it doesn't exist. Something had to be done with it. He condemned it. Other passages talk about how he became sin for us, and that's really the tenth picture. The tenth picture is this, and that is that there's someone else carrying our sin. He's transferred our sin. Isaiah chapter 53, and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 2, 24, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there's some really beautiful pictures here of forgiveness. But if you observe all those pictures, you'll notice something, that it's actually God taking our sin away from us. I think Psalm 103 talks about this in a beautiful way. It, it basically says this, says this that, that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he what? Removed our sin from himself? No. So far has he removed our sin from us. He is separating the sin from us. This is forgiveness. It's the act, the merciful act of God, whereby he separates our sin from us and removes the just judgment that we deserve. This is forgiveness. And it's really important for us to understand this. So those were the pictures. Debt forgiveness, pardon and canceling, covering Blotting out, removal, casting away, washing away, intentional forgetting, not counting it, killing it, crucifying it, condemning it, carrying sin, transferring sin. All of these beautiful pictures so that you, in your weak moments, have multiple passages, multiple images that you can run to in the Bible and say, but God, who is rich in mercy. So I don't know, once again, where you're at right now with your own sin. But God is rich in mercy and he offers you full pardon, full forgiveness of your sin. He offers to take that sin and to throw it behind his back, to throw it into the depths of the sea. He wants to wash it and remove it, to cancel it, to kill it. He wants to do that if you will receive it. And that's going to actually bring me to the second point. So our first point, what is forgiveness? It's the gracious, merciful work of God in separating our sins from us and removing the just judgment we deserve. Second point, what are the pre-requirements then for forgiveness? Are there pre-requirements or is forgiveness, is this just universalism? God's forgiven all sins of all time, of all people, all in all places, and it's just done? Well, there's actually two parties in forgiveness. There's the one who offers forgiveness. But forgiveness has to be received. And so what are these pre-requirements? First of all, there's pre-requirements of God. There are pre-requirements of God when we talk about forgiveness. And in general, you could say it this way. It's a generous heart of love and mercy. Okay? But I have three specific things that are pre-requirements for God. One is a loving determination to restore a relationship. A loving determination to restore a relationship. You could label this God's jealousy. God's jealousy. He wants a relationship with you, and he wants a purified you, a sinless you. Romans 5.8 
but God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. God has demonstrated over and over that actually he passionately wants to have a relationship with you. He wants the relationship restored. So, one of the pre-requirements for forgiveness would be that God actually wants and is determined to restore the relationship. And I'm happy to say, he is. So determined, in fact, that he himself would pay the price, which is the second prerequisite, you might say, for God. And that is this, number two, an ability to cover the expense and absorb the pain. An ability to, to cover the expense and to absorb the pain. I think we could call this God's justice. God does not have a light view of sin. Not at all. In fact, the Bible says this, God is angry with sinners every single day. What? Yes. He is angry with the wicked all day long, the Bible says. And this is why we need so badly to be separated from our sin. Pulled apart. Have it no longer clinging to us. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews. In Hebrews 10, verse 4, we're reminded that the sacrifice of goats, the blood of bulls, could not take away sin. It was not efficacious is the word. It's not able to, not powerful enough to, not sufficient for. It just can't do it. It's weak. (laughs) Okay? Bull blood and goat blood are weak. They, They can't cover sin. Instead, look at chapter 9, verse 12. He, being Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons for the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus was able to cover the expense with his own life. I think that we often read through the Gospels and the passion narrative of the Gospels far too quickly and with too little meditation. Because some of you in here, you, you, you know what it's like to be overwhelmed by your own guilt and your own shame, and you know the pressure and the weight and the, and the, the lowness that you feel when you think on your sin. And yet Jesus bore all of your guilt and the person sitting next to you and the person next to them and the person on death row 
and the person who's gotten away with abuse. And he, he's actually taken all of their guilt, all of their shame on himself. Absorbing the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the crippling effects of sin. And then on top of this, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus on the cross. Jesus absorbed, he covered the expense, he absorbed the pain. And in fact, I love the final words of Jesus. It is finished. It's done. He did it. He took all of it. He took all the sin, all the guilt, and he paid for it. And it was paid in full. And he said, it's finished. It's final. So the prerequisites on God are, one, a loving determination to restore a relationship. Two, the inability to cover the expense and to absorb the pain. And that is exactly what Jesus did. And in 1 John, it actually says that God put forth Jesus as a propitiation. That is, the one who could satisfy all of his wrath and remove our sin. That's what that word means, okay? There's a third pre-requirement, though, and that is this, an offer of forgiveness to the sinner. Pre-requirement for God is this, that he would be so kind and benevolent and loving to offer you forgiveness. And he does this. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. Given to all. Will you hear it? Will you listen to it? And actually, will you receive it? Because forgiveness is available for all who are willing to see or to receive. And that brings me to the prerequisite on man. What is the prerequisite of mankind? Now, I want to be careful on this one because it is not by works that we're saved, okay? So when I say prerequisite, I'm not saying you need to go out and do these works. And if you do these works, you'll get forgiveness. That's not at all what I'm saying. But there is a type of heart attitude, a type of posture that will receive forgiveness and a posture and a heart that won't receive forgiveness. You say, what do you mean? Well, these are not in some sequential order. They're meant to be taken all together, but I'm going to list all three of them. One is recognition, two is repentance, and three is a request for forgiveness or the receiving of forgiveness. You say, recognition. What do you mean recognition? Well, Psalm 32, again, we read the passage earlier. David says, I acknowledge my sin. Psalm 51, David says again, my sin is ever before me. I know it. And I will declare it for what it is. Against you and you only have I sinned. There's a recognition of what sin is. Another great example of this. coincides with our second point, and that is repentance, and that is this, Luke 18, excuse me, 15, with the prodigal, the prodigal son. He's out there, he's in the middle of wasting his life away, and it says, and he comes to himself. It's like he wakes up, and he realizes and recognizes the condition he's in. Once the recognition has happened, once the realization has happened, now you're actually in the way for forgiveness. Because you realize you need it. Luke chapter 18, 
Verse 13, if you want to turn there. Some of you thought I was joking when I said we're going to dance around a lot into different passages. You know the story well, but I want you to see it. You have the Pharisee who's praying in the corner. God, I thank you. I'm not like these bad people. I'm so good. Yeah, look at me. And then you have the, and then you have the publican, right? What does he say? Verse 13, but the tax collector, the publican standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then he kind of hits on this attitude and this heart, this posture. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Remember John the Baptist's baptism? They called it a baptism of repentance. And the idea was this, that people would come to John the Baptist and in acknowledgement and a posture of repentance and submission to God, they would be baptized. It was not a, you know, some efficacious work to wash away their sin. It was, it was a baptism of repentance. In other words, they were coming saying, I want to be humbled and I want to have a posture to receive God's forgiveness. It was a baptism of repentance. This is why many times in the New Testament, you hear things like repent and be baptized for the remissions of sin. It's not saying that baptism somehow saves you. It's saying you need to have a repentant, humble heart that recognizes your sin and repents from it or turns from it. Third prerequisite for mankind is a request. Or you could say it this way, receive the forgiveness Romans chapter 10. I love this passage. Romans chapter 10 verse, I'll I'll just start in verse 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. But listen to this next verse. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you call out and you ask for repentance, you receive it. You receive it. You're not going to be put to shame. Your list of deeds won't be pulled up and read to you. Oh yeah? This one, this one, this one? This one, this one? It won't be that way. It's actually, you're not put to shame. So, those are the prerequisites. So you've got the definition of forgiveness. We've got the prerequisites for God and the prerequisites for man. So let's talk about a few of these implications. We're not going to get to all of these. We'll get to some of these. The first one I want us to notice, and I've touched on briefly already, and that's this. You can't pay for God's forgiveness. You can't pay for God's forgiveness. You know what's unique? Is as I began to look through the list of all those pictures that God mentions about forgiveness, do you know that's what we all try to do without God? We try to cover our sin. (laughs) We try to cancel our own sin. We try to blot it out. We try to cast it away. We try to wash it away. We try to do all sorts of things to try and hide our sin. Have you ever tried to hide the evidence of your own sin? We kind of chuckle when little kids do it, right? 
They're like, you know, trying to put things under mattresses or, or you, you ask them if they've cleaned the room and they hear your feet coming up the steps. And so what do they do? They want to throw everything under the bed. Whoosh, whoosh, everything's under the bed. They're hiding the evidence that they've just been playing the whole time, right? They're trying to hide the evidence. They're trying to cover up. You know what? You can run around and hide all the evidence you want. You don't have the qualifications to actually deal with your sin. But there's one who does, and it's Jesus. He's the one who can genuinely cover your sin. He's the one who can genuinely wash it. He's the one who can throw it away, blot it out, cancel it. You can't. But some of us like to do that. We like to run around and try to hide our sin. As if God doesn't see, as if God doesn't know. You can't do that. You can't pay for your own sin. And I, I do want to, I, I want to stress this one more time in regards to service. And that's because of what Hebrews chapter 9 said about Jesus' blood cleansing us from guilt so that we can actually serve. Because guilt cripples. Guilt will cripple you. And if you allow guilt to remain on your heart, in your mind, you can be crippled from actually serving people. But I want you to know something, that if you retain and desire to retain your guilt, in other words, I'm going to pay for this. I've sinned so deeply that I've got to, I've got to retain a little bit of, I've got to pay for this. I don't want just a handout from God. I, don't, I just want to remind you, the posture that actually receives forgiveness is a broken posture and a humble posture, not a posture that says, I don't want a handout from God. I'll pay for my own sin. You don't have forgiveness. But if you have forgiveness, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Right? Now you're actually free to serve and serve people within this church. Some of you, I mentioned that bird last week that had the ring around its neck. You're, you're, you're choked in regards to serving and enjoying Jesus and enjoying the fellowship of the saints because you want to retain some measure of guilt because it puts you in control and it gives you an excuse. And actually, that's not an embracing of forgiveness. In some ways, it's a rejection of it. And so I want to challenge you. If you found in your own heart that you have allowed yourself to be crippled by your past, Jesus wants you to know his blood is sufficient, his payment was big enough, his love is strong enough, and he can cover your sin. So let's serve one another with freedom. Okay, on the other end of that though, the other end of the spectrum, and I'm going to close with this, is that you can't presume on God's forgiveness. In other words, it's not cheap. This did cost a lot. It cost him his life. You can't presume on God's forgiveness. Like, oh, you know what? It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Okay. Just so you know, if you, so I, I want to I just share a little bit of, of me here, okay? So I'm, I'm the type of person, I grew up with this, this teaching, and I think it's a good teaching, and that is that um, you keep short sin accounts with God, okay? In other words, you, you, if you sin, you, just, you confess it right there, you move on, you go, you go, you go. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> but it's actually interesting, the one who actually keeps the short account is God, <laughs> 
because he's the one who offers the forgiveness. But sometimes in the midst of our everyday life, we kind of run to God for forgiveness just to kind of get it out of the way and we forget about the posture of forgiveness and, and I'm guilty of this. We want, to, we want to eliminate the tension between the relationship or on our own conscience, but we actually don't want to change. <laughs> we don't want to have that humble, broken spirit of God working me, changing me, purifying me, wash me, truly separate the sin from me. And so we presume upon God's forgiveness, and we actually just go, go, go. And let me just suggest that if you're the type of person who presumes upon God's forgiveness, that you need to pause and think about what you've done and ask God to help you be broken and humble over your sin. Because it didn't come cheaply. He actually paid for it with his life. There's a lot more we could go into, but we'll stop right here for now. So we'll end this week. Next week, we're going to pick up right along the lines of more implications of this, but specifically then, how God's forgiveness of us enables us, empowers us, and even teaches us how we can forgive those who've wronged us. I hope you've been encouraged this morning that God's forgiveness of you is thorough and it's complete and it's final. You can come and you can receive it in humility. If you've never done that before, I pray you will today. If you find yourself bound by your own guilt and shame, receive forgiveness. Humble yourself and receive forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the many pictures of forgiveness that you've given us in your word. Lord, you knew that we would be weak in this area. You knew we'd struggle. You knew we'd wrestle with our own guilt and want to pay for our own sin. And so you remind us over and over and over again with clear pictures, clear commands, clear descriptions of what you have done with our sin. I thank you that with you there is forgiveness that you might be feared. I pray that we would reverence you in awe this morning. Our hearts would be filled with gratitude. We'd find new courage to serve, new courage to lead, because of the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.